Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As we look at exploring the Bible and the issue of personal Bible study basics. In her book Amazing Grace, Grace, Kathleen Norris tells a story about a man named Arlo. He was one of those rough, tough guys. When he got married, the grandfather, I believe, of his bride gave them a a big leather-bound family Bible with all the engraving on it, fancy, fancy Bible. And period, they would wrote him a thank you note and everything. Periodically, that grandfather would contact them and say, have you, have you read the Bible yet? And this rough and tough Arlo, of course he hadn't, and he, he would make excuses. And the grandfather kept asking him, have you read your Bible yet? And finally, he opened the Bible and, to read it because his grandfather kept asking if you read the Bible and found in Genesis a $20 bill. And then he went to the next book, Exodus, and found another $20 bill. Anyway, by the time it was all over and he flipped through the Bible, there was like $1,600 <laughs> He said, the joke was on me. I didn't want to read the Bible, and he was trying to give me a wedding gift. Sometimes I think about our, our own personal relationship with the Word of God like that, that there, there are uh, nuggets of, of treasure within the pages of Scripture, and we just don't take the time to open it up and see. This morning, we're going to look at the issue of personal Bible study. Next week, we're going to look at the matter of being involved in Bible study in a small group as we prepare to kick off our small group ministry. But let's talk about personally one-on-one, you and the Lord getting into the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, some translations say perfect, mature, equipped for every good work. A couple of truths and then some uh, points to illustrate those truths or drive those truths home. Number one, personal Bible study directs us on our personal growth with Christ. Personal Bible study gives us direction and guidance in our own personal growth path with the Lord himself. The Bible teaches that it, about itself that there's teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. The Bible itself is our guide, our direction, not just as we've talked about before, the revelation of God through Jesus Christ presented in Scripture, but then the Scripture given to us to guide us and direct us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Because I am a Christian, therefore every day in which I do not penetrate more deeply into the knowledge of God's Word in Holy Scripture is a lost day for me. I can only move forward with certainty upon the firm ground of the Word of God. And as a Christian, I learn to know the Holy Scriptures in no other way 
than by hearing the word preached and by prayerful meditation. A Bonhoeffer, one of the greatest Christians who's ever lived, a, a, a godly pastor who was uh, imprisoned by the Nazis and executed by Hitler, had a passion for personal discipleship and to, to take his, his students to the word of God and to use that for their own personal growth. He saw the importance of it. And I love that. A day that I don't get in the word of God and deepen my walk with the Lord is, is to be, as Bonhoeffer says, a lost day for me. So let's look at how the Bible directs us. First of all, it points me to the right path. It points me to the right path. And we've looked at this passage almost once a year for the last several years, so many of you ought to, ought to know this passage by heart, but we're going to go back to it again. It points me to the right path. And that phrase there in, in, chapter, in verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God for teaching. That is where God shows me the path that I am to be on. Hold that place because we'll come back to it. And look at the book of Acts chapter 17 with me. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. As Paul describes the Bere- or as Luke describes the Bereans. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. On arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I love that description of the Bereans. They were not only welcome the message that Paul and, and, and that Barnabas, that Paul and Silas gave them, but they, as they opened their mind to the message, it says that they searched the scriptures to make sure that those things were true. You should be in the word of God saying, God, I need to know which way I'm to walk, what, how I'm to get on the path, which is the proper direction for my life. So the word of God points me. There's a, there's a, uh, in, in a, one of the Vatican museums, there's a sculpture there, a statue, and it's called Habakkuk and the Angel. I looked it up because I heard the description, looked up the picture. It's fascinating. Here's this, this picture of Habakkuk, and he has a, a, a case, like a suitcase. He's packed. He's ready for a trip, and he's, you can tell he's, he's going this way traveling, and there's an angel over him who has a hold of his hair and is pulling him back this way. And I thought, there's a good description of how the Word of God can get our attention I, I am walking my own way. I'm directing my own path. And God is saying, no, over here. And, and it, sometimes he grabs our hair, right? What did the choir sing? Sometimes it takes a mountain. Sometimes a trouble. See, he will take the word of God and, and apply it to our lives so that he will direct us which way we are to go. I love what D.L. Moody said. The scriptures were not given for our information, but for our transformation. You are not just to be reading the Bible as we've challenged you to, to get in the Word of God this last month or so, and now we're going to talk about the importance of studying it. It's not just so you can have information up here, head knowledge. It's so that you can have a transformed life. So first of all, the Bible, personal Bible study points me on the right path. Secondly, it pierces my heart to reveal sin. It shows me when I get off track. It pierces my heart. That ver- uh, word in verse 16, all scriptures inspired by God, profitable for profitable for teaching, for rebuking. What is a rebuke? A rebuke is you messed up. A rebuke is that's wrong. A rebuke is you need to understand you've, you've misstepped. You've stepped out of bounds. You're, you've sinned. God's word pierces my heart to reveal sin. That's what, what uh, Paul tells Timothy here in this verse. Again, if you'll hold that place, but look at uh, Psalm 139. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. Verse 23 and 24. I like this section of Psalm 139 because it describes how when I 
approach God's word with the right heart attitude. This is what God will do if this is my attitude. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So before I can be led, before I can be guided on that right path, God may have to deal with me with some sin, some issues in my life. God's word may have to pierce my heart. I know when I'm growing cold when I read the word of God and there's a a convicting word of scripture and I just kind of read it and I move on. We're going to talk in a minute how how one way to keep from having that happen in your life, but the, the, the word of God needs to be something piercing me. Listen to the description in Hebrews chapter 4 of the, of the word of God. And I love this, uh, this great word picture here. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God, by the way, we're looking at two passages of scripture in 2 Timothy 3 and Hebrews 4 about the word of God who talks about itself. The word of God speaking about the word of God. In, in 2 Timothy 3, he calls it scripture. In uh, Hebrews 4, the author of Hebrews calls it the word. The word of God is living and effective and sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I I have this this mental picture of, of someone field dressing a deer and how I've watched that done by someone who is very good at it and how meticulous they are at, at, at dissecting that animal. And, and that's kind of the picture that, that the writer of Hebrews says, this double-edged sword pierces right down to the very joints and marrow. It's a word picture to talk about the deepness of the heart. God's word gets through that. Sometimes my prayer is, God, keep me from having a cold heart. Keep me from having a hard heart. I'm been reading through the Old Testament and looking at Pharaoh and and even the children of Israel, how many times they hardened their heart against the Lord. This is a soft heart issue. God's, God's word piercing me. When I get off track, he shows me that, that rebuke. John Ortberg tells a story about a man named Max. He had a young grandson who'd locked himself in their bathroom and, and they, he couldn't get out and the family panicked and they called the police and they couldn't get him out so they called the fire department and fire trucks show up and the firemen go in and they get their axe out and they bust the door open and they get the little grandson out. And later he was complaining, Max was complaining, I guess to a neighbor about how they just destroyed his door. And I loved what his friend told him. The neighbor said, he said this, he said, a fireman has two tools, an axe and a hose. If you want someone to pick a lock with a paper clip or just try a locksmith or a cat burglar, but if you call a fireman, you have either, you're either going to get the axe or the hose. Isn't that good? When I go to the Word of God, sometimes there'll be this refreshing cleansing of the, uh, where God just washes over me. Sometimes it's a hose with a gentle stream. But sometimes He has to take the axe to me. You all experience that? Where God just nails you. Where just He breaks through whatever it is, the calluses. God's word pierces my heart to reveal sin. Is he doing that in your life on a regular basis? Or have you grown cold and indifferent and insensitive to what he has to say to you? The third 
description of the way God's word directs us is, is God's word prescribes the way back. I love this. It prescribes the way back. How to get back on track. That word in verse 16 of, of uh, 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is given for this, for correcting, for correcting to prescribe, Kevin, here's how you get back on track. Isn't God good? He doesn't just say you messed up. He doesn't just say you need to fess up. He says this is a way to get back on track. He doesn't just leave you there. He says this is what you need to be doing in your life. Here's some steps. Here's some some ways to, to guide you back in walking in obedience. Look back at Psalm 119, another one of my favorite books of Scripture. By the way, Psalm 119 is a book all about the Bible. Every every mention of Psalm 119 is thematic about the Bible itself, the Word of God. But look at verse 59. This is one of my favorite descriptions in Scripture of what it means to repent. When when God God shows me where I've gotten off track and, and what I need to do to get back in line with Him, this prescription of the way back is repentance. How do you get back? Repentance. Look with me at verse 59. The psalmist says, I thought about my ways. I turned my steps back to your decrees. I hurried, not hesitating to keep your commands. Can I, can I illustrate this? Here's what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, I was walking this way. I thought about your ways. And by implication, what we're talking about today, the word of God has been speaking to my heart about his ways. I stopped. I turned my steps back. And I made haste to follow your decrees and your commands. Isn't that a great picture? I am walking my way, and God stops me. He just stops me. He says, this is the way you should walk. And if my heart is right, if I'm allowing the word of God to, to pierce it, and I'm, I'm soft enough in my heart and my spirit to receive it, I stop, I turn, and I begin to walk toward him. Prescribes the way back. You know, the way back is always repentance. I, I'm a teacher It's my spiritual gift, my ministry gift, and I love to give you steps how to get wherever you're going. That's why we do the fill in the blanks, and that's why I give you this stuff. But you know, bottom line, there's no step to to replace this step of repentance. There's no step to replace what God needs to do in my heart to get me back on track. Does that make sense? I can give you all the tools. I can give you all the Bible studies. I can get you connected in one of our small groups. I can get you in a place where we have all that stuff. But if your heart's not softened and pierced and you're not repentant, God's not going to have the freedom to do what he wants to do. What a statement. The, the, The God of the universe waits for you to say, it's okay, God, I'm going to follow you. But he pursues us and sometimes grabs us by the hair. I thought about my ways. Stopped, I turned, and I began to pursue you. So the word of God points me in the right path. It pierces my heart, prescribes the way back through repentance. And and the fourth word that uh, is used here by Paul, he persuades me to live a righteous life. Persuading me. That word is is training. He, He gives the word of God for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. How to stay on the path. How to stay in obedience. How to stay walking with him. Psalm 5.3, the psalmist said, At daybreak, Lord, you hear my voice. At daybreak, I will plead my case to you and watch expectantly. I cannot overemphasize the importance of a daily time alone with the Lord. And for most of us, 
it's best to start the day that way. I know some of you are not morning people. I get that. If you're going to really get into your personal Bible study time intensely, maybe you need to save that for later in the evening or afternoon, wherever you can make it where you're at your best. But you still need to start with the Word of God. Certainly begin with some, some uh, small amount of Scripture to be able to focus your heart and your mind. Some people have trouble getting up. I love what Adrian Rogers, I think, is the one who said it. If you hoot with the owls, you cannot soar with the eagles. So if you're a night owl, remember that. It might make it difficult for you to soar with the eagles if you're not getting up early enough to spend time with him. It persuades me to live a righteous life, to, to spend time with him every single day. And it's important to be consistent. For, for God's word to keep me reminded, to keep me motivated, it has to be a regular continuous thing in my life. Remember we said recently before, if you, if you miss a meal, you don't stop eating, right? Right? If you miss your morning time with God, if you miss your time, it's just, just start the next day. You may, don't beat yourself up about it. Just be as consistent as you can be. It's interesting. I was doing some research this week and, and never thought of this, but I can see how true it is. Now that you can download books, e-books, you can download them on Kindle, all those different different ways far that you can get a book now. They can track what you're reading, they, whoever you bought it from. So here's the interesting thing. Many of the bestsellers that are bought off the New York Times bestsellers list, people don't finish those books. The statistics I was reading, some of them, people get 30, 40, 50% through a book and they don't finish it. Isn't that interesting? Now, if you just bought the paperback version, you, they wouldn't know that. But now that's electronic, they can track that. But there, wouldn't that be amazing if, if we could track that? If we could, if, if we could say, okay, let's track your consistency in staying with it. God tracks it, doesn't he? He knows if you're consistent. If, he, if he's going to guide you daily, persuading you to, to live a godly life, you need to be in his word regularly, consistently. Um, I've been thinking and praying through some things and some commitments that folks have made and decisions that have been made. And, and I find that some of us, man, we start off great and we're excited and there's fire and we're going to do it, but we just kind of fizzle. And pretty soon there's no fire and no excitement about that activity or that ministry or that thing. Sometimes it's because we lack the right motivation. And I believe God's word provides that motivation for us. Personal Bible study directs me on my personal growth. Now, I said I'm a teacher, so I want to look with, at something that we look at yearly, this simple acrostic that will help you get into the Word of God. Personal Bible study, number two, deepens our relationship with Christ. It deepens our relationship with Christ. Look at verse 17. If I can find it again. God's Word is given for us so that the man of God may be complete, mature, equipped for every good work. God's word is there for me, not just to show me the way, to show me when I get off track, to show me how to get back on track, to guide me in how I'm to stay consistent, but it's there to deepen my relationship with Christ. I'm preparing... Uh, my curriculum to go to Africa in, in a week or two to, to teach some pastors on the, the Old Testament. They've given me three days to teach the whole Old Testament to these guys. So 
Uh, but one of the things that as I'm reading through the curriculum that the, the uh, emphasis is, is they're, they're wanting me, the people who published this, wanting me to make sure that I let these guys know that, that Scripture is about a relationship with God. The Old Testament is about a relationship with Christ, pointing to Christ. And it's just been re-emphasized in my mind and heart how important that this is not just a tool and a guidebook. This is something that deepens my relationship with Him. That as we read it, it's not just about theology. It's not just about information. It's not just about that stuff. It's, it's to deepen my walk and my relationship with Him. And that happens as I take the Word of God and as I read it and as I pray back to Him. John chapter 10, verse 2, describes that importance of relationship. Jesus is teaching about himself being the good shepherd, the ideal shepherd. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. In verse 4, when he has brought all his own inside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. Again, I'm, I believe studying the Word is, is essential because of what we just looked at. But the bottom line is as we get into the Word of God, we're to be listening for the shepherd's voice in that. To know it, to hear it. Shepherds have a way of, of rallying their sheep. Even today in, in Palestine, they still shepherd sheep the way they have for, for uh, the last 2,000 years and Sometimes those shepherds will gather their flocks at the end of the day at dusk and, and they'll all be, be watering at the same time and there may be maybe six or eight or ten flocks of sheep there. And the shepherds don't panic as the sheep get mingled together and confused together because when it's time to go home, they all have their own distinct whistle or their own noise or their own sound that they make and those sheep recognize that whistle, that's my guy. And they separate and they go follow their own shepherds. We're, we're the people of God. We're the, the sheep of his pasture. And we're to know his voice, to hear his voice, to respond to that. To know the shepherd's voice. This, this issue of relationship. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. As Paul talks about this, this uh, reality of the, the spirit of God speaking and, and working in our lives. The voice of the shepherd. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Verse 10, 1 Corinthians 2. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man that is in him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Paul goes on to talk about the unspiritual. Here's the truth. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and draws me in to deepen my relationship with Him. So important. Well, I've given us these letters in the past to help us get into the Word of God and to Use it to deepen our relationship. So we're using the word soap. This is the Bible in Ephesians talks about the washing of the word. So think about when you get in the word of God, soap is your word to remember there. The, the S stands for scripture. By the way, how many of y'all have already filled it in? Because you knew them all. Okay. Scripture. You're asking yourself this question, what does it say? 
And here's what I'm, I'm encouraging you to do. And some people said, Pastor, you've already taught us that. What are we doing it? Just to take a, a devotional book, a journal, a, a notebook, something. And, and this is what I do. And I write at the top of that day. I write my day and I write S because that reminds me of scripture. And I write the scripture out. I may be reading a chapter, but I ask God to give me one verse or a couple of verses out of that chapter. Or I may be reading a devotional and I take the one verse out of that devotional and I actually write it out. There's something that happens when you physically write it out. Studies have shown that you can type it out, you can read it. It doesn't have the same impact on you unless you're writing it out. Something happens with your brain as you're writing. And you may not be able to read it. Some of my journal stuff I go back to and I can't read it. That's all right. At least when you write it, you know what you're writing. Write out what the scripture says. So important. And let me say this. Pay attention to context. Don't be the guy that just lifts one thing out and says, that's my, my word for the day. Understand, and that's why the importance of reading in a paragraph or a chapter at a time, to understand how that verse fits in context. I, I saw an interesting deal about context recently. I, I'm just going to share it with you. I want you to listen to this, this little paragraph, all right? A seashore is a better place than the street because you need lots of room. The first is better to run than, at first it's better to run than walk. You may have to try several times. It takes some skill, but it's easy to learn. Even young children can enjoy it. Birds seldom get too close. If there are no snags, it can be very peaceful. If it breaks loose, you won't get another chance. Did that make any sense to you? First time I read it, it didn't. So let me give you one word to put that paragraph in context. The word is kite. Now listen to it. A seashore is a better place than the street because you need lots of room. At first, it's better to run than to walk. You may have to try several times. It takes some skill, but it's easy to learn. Even young children can enjoy it. Birds seldom get too close. If there are no snags, it can be very peaceful. If it breaks loose, you won't get another chance. See the importance of context? If you just know what that's about, as you look at Scripture, pay attention to the context. If you're reading an Old Testament story, understand, as we've looked at before, what kind of literature you're reading. Is it poetry? Is it prophecy? Is it just history? If you're reading the New Testament, is it a letter that's written to the church? And is there a context about that church? Why Paul or, or, or Peter or James wrote that letter? Look at the, the context. So scripture, once you've identified that scripture, write it out. Write it out. The next letter is O, observation. Ask yourself, what does it mean? What does it mean? Observation. I wrote out that verse. Now I'm asking myself, what does that mean? Not at this point, not what does it mean for me, and that catches me sometimes because I always want to jump to that step. But just what does it mean? I might, read, I might read Romans 3, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What does it mean? It means that, that sin leads to spiritual death. God's given us eternal life. It may be something that simple. I may read a verse that says, all have, fall, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God of Romans. And I might write that verse, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does it mean? It means that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory for them. Just very simply, what does it say? What does it mean? Paying attention to context, observation. The next letter is A, application. Can I say this, that many people who read the Bible and study the Bible stop before they get to this point? Because they read it and they get that information and they know what it means for everybody, and then they go on. Application, what should I do about it? 
Listen to what Eugene Peterson says. At age, this is his analogy of running shoes. At age 35, I bought running shoes and began to enjoy smooth rhythms of long-distance running. Soon I was competing in 10K races every month or so and a marathon once a year. By then I was subscribing to and reading three running magazines. Then I pulled a muscle and I couldn't run for a couple of months. Those magazines were still all over the house, but I never opened one. The moment I resumed running, though, I started reading again. That's when I realized that my reading was an extension of something I was a part of. I was reading for companionship and affirmation of the running experience. I learned a few things along the way, but mostly it was to deepen my um, understanding of the world of running. If I wasn't running, he says, there was nothing to deepen. Then he makes this application. Reading scripture is the same way. If I'm not in active response to the living God, reading about his creation, his salvation, his holiness, it just won't hold my interest for long. The most important question isn't what does it mean, but what can I obey? So here's what Peterson says, and I love that, that, that analogy. If I'm not putting it into, into my life, it's just going to be something that I'm not, in, I'm not encouraged to read anymore. I'm not going to read that anymore. Especially if I've read it and God's convicted me, he's pierced my heart and I haven't repented, I'm not going to want to be a part of that. But if I am actively taking that and putting that into play in my life, living it out on a daily basis, I'm going to want to know more. I'm going to have this desire, this motivation. And my motivation is not, Kevin, you better study your Bible or else you're not going to check that box. I grew up in the day where you handed in an offering envelope, you checked the box. But my motivation will be, I am so excited about the way the Word of God is is changing my life, transforming relationships, changing me, that I want to get and spend time with Him in His Word even more. Application, what should I do about it? And write that out. Here's the scripture I wrote. Here is what it means. And now here's what it means for me. That's where the rubber meets the road, right? That's where it really gets serious to write it out. This is how I need to apply this to my life. And then lastly, prayer. P is for prayer. This is where I apply the truth to my life personally through prayer. Making it so personal that I interact with God about it. A preaching professor, Haddon Robinson, tells a story about a, a preacher in Frontier Days. He noticed some of his parishioners were dragging some logs that had been floated down the river from another village. And he saw his members take these logs out of the river and saw off the ends of them. They were building something for the church. I'm not sure what it was. And they're sawing off the ends of these logs. And he starts to investigate and finds that there were stamps on the end of those logs from the mill that, had, that owned those logs. And they were being floated down the river because they belonged to someone. And he saw his church members sawing off the ends of the log. And so he prepared a sermon, and, and he preached this great sermon on thou shalt not steal. Because he, he saw clearly that's what they were doing. And here's how they responded. Enthusiastic comments from his congregation. Wonderful message, Pastor. Mighty fine preaching. Keep up the good work. And he thought, man, I, I guess I wasn't specific enough. So the next time he preaches, the next Sunday morning, he not only uses that same text, the commandment, thou shalt not steal, but he adds, yes, thou shalt not steal, 
but thou shalt also not cut off the end of thy neighbor's logs. When he got through, the congregation ran him out of town because he then helped apply the truth to their life. We have a tendency to be like the congregation and we say that's for everybody else. When God speaks to you through his word and you begin to write out those prayers, you're saying, God, this is, this is for me. And this is my commitment to you. Eleanor Turnbull is a veteran missionary to Haiti. She translated and wrote out some prayers she'd heard from Haitian Christians. I just want to read a couple of those for you because it shows how important it is to take the word of God and pray it back to him. One prayed this prayer. Our great physician, your word is like alcohol. When poured on an infected wound, it burns and stings, but only then can it kill the germs. If it doesn't burn, it doesn't do any good. Well, that's practical. That person got it. One, One Haitian prayed, Father, we are all hungry baby birds this morning. Our mouths are gaping wide. We're waiting for you to fill us. Another prayed, Lord, we find your word like cabbage. So we pull down the leaves and we get closer to the heart. As we get closer to the heart, it's sweeter. I love those prayers. You may not be that eloquent. I'm not. I'm not that eloquent at all. In fact, as I go back and read my journal, uh, my prayers are pretty much the same way. They start out, Lord, I'm sorry. Help me with this. And I write it out. Maybe not eloquent, but you know what? It's, it's reminding me that I'm making a commitment as I'm interacting with my Heavenly Father because the purpose of that is to deepen the relationship with Him. Van Morris tells about when he was 15 years old, he's a preacher now, I believe, he purchased a metal detector to go hunt for treasure. And the guy that sold it to him, the salesman said, let me give you two pieces of advice. Number one, when you find something and you dig a hole and you find something, don't leave it. Go, go one more pass over that. You'll probably find more. And he said that happens often. He said the second advice I'm going to give you is don't believe it when someone tells you that that place has already been uh, treasured out, that that place is empty. There's nothing there anymore. He said, my experience has been when somebody says you're not going to find any more treasure, that's when you find the real treasure. Some people would say, we've heard that sermon before, we've read that book before, we've memorized that verse before, we've studied that passage before, but, but when you think about God's Holy Spirit being active in this process, there are going to be nuggets and treasures and jewels that you had missed because it's alive, as the writer of Hebrews says, active. Are you letting God's word impact your life on a daily basis? Are you letting it be soap to wash and renew you? That's my challenge to you as an individual, personally. The congregation will never be any stronger than the individual walks of the members of the congregation. How are we doing? Let's pray.